Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And then Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you do, let me take a moment to pray for our time as we continue in worship. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are the God of holiness, of of profound otherness, beyond what we can fully comprehend and imagine. You, You are the God who has made yourself known to us. Even in your transcendence and in your incomprehensible nature, you have made yourself known to us through what you have made through the person of Jesus and through your word recorded for us. And so, Lord, I ask in this time, through the power of your spirit, that you would bring about a newness of life, a newness of understanding, a transformed perspective and a transformed life in us and through us. Lord, whatever barriers that stand in our way from hearing you, delighting in you, receiving from you, would you remove them? Lord, would would there be truth that is proclaimed in this time and that we would hear it and respond to it. And so may this time, Lord, be a time in which you, the Father, accomplish your, your will for us through the power of your Spirit in revealing the glory of your Son. It is in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to, um, good to be with you all. My name is uh, Reed Kappel. I serve as uh, the campus pastor here of the Aletha campus, and uh, it is a joy to be with you. If you're new or you're a guest, we are glad you're here. I'd love the chance to meet you, to say hi, so stop by, come find me, and I'd love to, yeah, get to know you. Um, if you don't know me, uh, you, you may not know this, but I have, I have four kids, and uh, our youngest son is Edmund, and Edmund is five. And recently, um, Edmund told my wife, Megan, that when he grows up, he wants to be a pastor, Oh, yeah, exactly. It's like, that's a very endearing thing, right? It's like, when you hear your child say that they kind of want to follow in your vocational footsteps, it's like, they're kind of saying, like, I want to be you when I grow up. And it's like, that's really sweet, right? You would think. 
Because what, what, what followed is that Megan asked Eddie, like, why do you want to be a pastor? To which he responded, it just doesn't seem like that much work. Now, like, I, like I've, I've, I've been at this for a while. Like, I know the, the classic joke that pastors only work one day a week, or as my friend Clay says, really just half a day a week. But man, to hear it from your own child, I mean, come on, that's just, that's just cruel. But, but it was, I mean, it was a hilarious moment, it was like, made for a wonderful time as a family. But, but as, I, as I was thinking about, I mean, this just happened recently, but as I was thinking about that, like, and reflecting on our passage that we have for us today in John 3, I was, I was wondering, is this kind of how we think about what it means to be born again. I mean, this is a, a phrase that is very common in Christian circles, to be born again. Do we kind of apply the same thinking that Eddie has about being a pastor to the life of being born again? That, like, why not? Why not be born again? Because it doesn't seem like it's that much work. Why not be born again? It's very simple. Jesus seems, even seems to be very clear, like, this is not a work that we do. It is a work of the Spirit, so why not be born again? It's simple. It doesn't seem to take that much work. But is that true? Is that, is that what Jesus is getting at? Is that what he means when he talks about the necessity, the urgency of being born again? And so whatever Jesus is saying, whatever he's communicating about being born again, what is abundantly clear in his inter- interaction with Nicodemus is that we must be born again. There, there is no two ways about it. Jesus is emphatic. We must be born again. And so what I want to do in our time together, if you have your Bibles open, I want us to focus in on what I think Jesus is focusing in on, and, and that is this idea, that being born again is the only way to live. Being born again is the only way to live. What Jesus is declaring in this moment is that there is no other way to find the life that we all long to live. There's no other path to wholeness. There's no other path to change, to freedom, to rescue, to healing, apart from being born again. And so as we turn to what is, what is arguably one of the very most famous popular passages of Scripture, uh, or chapters of Scripture, John 3, uh, I want us to look into this. So if you have your Bibles, whether paper or electronic, turn to John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you one. We have Bibles in English as well as in Spanish at our uh, welcome table. Feel free to grab one now if you'd like, or on your way out, that is a gift to you. So John 3, we see Jesus interacting with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Verse 1 says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which means that he was a professional religious person. He was an expert in the Mosaic law as a teacher, as an observer of it, as a student of it. But in addition to that, we, we see that he is a ruler of the Jews, which means that he, was a, he occupied a seat on what was referred to as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of people appointed by Rome to essentially give ruling to the Jewish people. So during this time, all that the, like every part of like the known world was under Roman rule. And the way the Romans basically pr- provided order and structure to the various peoples and provinces that they ruled over was to provide these kind of subgroups of leadership. And so for the Jewish people, that was the Sanhedrin. And Nicodemus, being a person of great influence, both religiously but also in a place of authority, is coming to Jesus. And so he's kind of a big deal, okay? So Nicodemus is kind of, if you think of him as like the president of a seminary or, or a denomination, or, or in more high church traditions, he's, he's like an archbishop of some kind, of a significant person. And this man comes to Jesus with some level of inquiry 
and intrigue about who Jesus is. And so we see this in verse 2, what, what Nicodemus says. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, it's very interesting that John records that this took place during night. Clearly, Nicodemus is not wanting to be seen with Jesus in the daylight. But in addition to that, John, as we've seen so far, John oftentimes employs deeper meanings uh, to the words that he's using. And particularly in John's writings, in his gospel and his letters, he employs the metaphors of light and darkness very pervasively. And, And whenever there's a reference of darkness or night... It's almost always, there's almost always some association with a moral darkness, a spiritual darkness, an intellectual darkness of some kind. And so even though Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, inquiring, interested, he even shows some level of respect with the moniker of rabbi that he gives to Jesus, John wants us to see that there's still some level of darkness, something that is amiss in Nicodemus at this time. And this is evidenced by what Jesus says to Nicodemus after his first sentence. In verse 3, Jesus responds, and notice Nicodemus doesn't ask a question, but Jesus responds as if he did, which is kind of a way of Jesus saying like, hey, I know you didn't ask this question, but I'm going to answer the question you should have asked uh, because I know you better than you know yourself. And so Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus has some level of recognition that Jesus is more than just a great teacher and prophet. He even recognizes that he's he's a rabbi, calls him rabbi, that he is from God in some way, shape, or form because he's witnessed the miracles. And so, so there must be some divine supernatural aspect to Jesus. But Jesus responds by saying that there's an even greater form of seeing than what Nicodemus is displaying here. There's a greater form of of seeing that Nicodemus is missing out on even as he is interacting with the Son of God. Jesus is basically saying that even though Nicodemus has seen miracles, evidence of the fact that Jesus is God, there is a greater reality that Nicodemus does not see, namely the kingdom of God. For Jesus, he's, what he's showing Nicodemus is like, look, you've seen miracles. You've seen evidences of the kingdom of God. You've seen pictures of it. But what you have not come to fully see is the pervasive reign of God over all things, namely known as the kingdom, which is why Jesus connects being born again with seeing and entering the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, true life is only found when we live life in his kingdom, Not by by having some religious experience, but by entering in and seeing the kingdom of God where Jesus is king and reigns over every square inch of our lives. The reason we must be born again, as Jesus declares, is because it is the only way into life, into into the life of Jesus' kingdom, now and forever. Again, what Jesus is declaring is that we must be born again because it is the only way to live. And so to put it even more starkly, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this religious expert, is that he is not alive. That this man who who is the leader of the Jews, who is a student and a master of the Torah, the Old Testament law, of the Mosaic teachings, like this man is dead. 
that you may have the, the perception of being alive, but you are dead, that there is a death that looks like life, but it is still death. When I was a freshman in college, I was in need of a new vehicle. Um, I owned something like 28 cars in college. It was, it was ridiculous. But, but I was in need of a new car, and my brother, Kate, I didn't have a lot of money at the time. My brother, Casey, uh, decided to take me to a police auction to buy my next vehicle. I was like, thank you? I'm not sure. And, and, and if you've ever been, uh, it's just filled with these, these cars that have been impounded for various reasons. We don't know why they're there. There's no explanation as to um, uh, the, the damage done to it or why there's blood stains in the back or whatever. So we're, we're here to buy these cars. And I, and I was like, not sure I was going to get a car, but there was this pristine Dodge Durango. I mean, it, it had no scratch on it. And it was probably, I mean, no less than a year or two old. And I was like, this is my car. But as we got closer to it and kind of inspected it, we popped the hood, there was no engine inside of it. <laughs> and, and I don't know a lot about cars, but I, read, I read, read an article one time that I think an engine makes the car go vroom vroom. I think that's, I think that's how those work. But, but again, I, I come up to this car and just like by all accounts, the, through the empirical data, this looks like a car that is fully functioning. But, but as you look closer inside, it is dead. It's dead on arrival. There's no life within this car. As much as it may, I mean, it stood out in comparison to all the other junkers in that lot, but it was as dead as any other car because it had no life inside of it. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying, not just to Nicodemus, but about Nicodemus. If there was ever a guy who had the appearance of, of spiritual life and vitality, it would be Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, one who is an expert in the word of God. But even with all of Nicodemus' accomplishments and, and accolades and, and uh, accoutrements, if you will, he is still dead. He is dead because he has not been born of the Spirit. And friends, this is what Jesus is saying to us through Nicodemus. That we don't simply need new insight. We don't simply need new instruction or new institutions. We don't need new practices we need to be made entirely new. That's what Jesus is driving at. Because to be born again, the reason we must be born again is because it is the only way to live. Because there is a greater death than even death itself. We tend to define death as our hearts no longer beating, our lungs no longer breathing, our brains no longer functioning. And that's true, but there's a death that is even greater than death. And listen to, listen to author Glenn Scrivener and what he says. Uh, but, but Pastor Ben Lord's a big fan of Glenn Scrivener. He has influenced me over these past couple of years. But listen to these words of Glenn Scrivener. He says this, there's death and then there's death. Spiritually, says the Bible, we're dead already. Physically, we're just catching up with reality. As my lifetime supply of heartbeats deplete one by one, I'm living out the death I was born into. Life and death are far more than biological terms. Scripture is teaching what we feel intuitively, that there's more to life than a functioning brainstem, and there's a death that's deeper than a cardiac flatline. Beyond our physical existence, there's a death to be feared and a life to be sought. I share this as a way to awaken us to the, the, the greater realities of what death is and what life is, that there's a death that is greater than physical physical death, and there is a life that is greater than physical life. And I know that these words resonate with some of us today. Some of us are wondering, and, and we're hearing this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, and kind of asking ourselves this question, am I alive or am I just living? 
We, we know the distinction, the difference between that. Like, like I, I know I'm alive in the sense that I'm like, I'm functioning, I have a heartbeat, but like, but am I alive or am I just living? And Jesus is pointing out that there is a difference. And that Nicodemus, while he might be living in one sense, he is absolutely dead. And perhaps like Nicodemus, you, you resonate with, with this, this state in life. You have a cursory interest in Jesus. You even dabble in religious activity from time to time. You, you come to church and there, there's some kind of intrigue. You might even refer to Jesus as rabbi in some way, shape, or form. But you're still dead. And you, and you know it. And you know it because you, you've tried to fabricate a new life through a bunch of religious activity or through moral effort, through some kind of intellectual enlightenment, instead of fully recognizing the identity that you have, which is a dead person, even with a heartbeat, you are deader than you realize. And without fully recognizing that and surrendering to the work of the Spirit, in whom there is only the path to life, we will remain dead. We're polishing that Durango. We're putting new rims on it. We're putting a new sound system in it. Not realizing the fact that it's still dead. As pretty as it may be, it is still dead. There's a reason why Jesus emphasizes his point to Nicodemus with his kind of classic phrase, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen and amen. He's basically emphasizing, no, no other uh, person that we know in kind of ancient history used this kind of phrase, truly, truly. It's, it's unique to Jesus. He's trying to highlight and embolden what he's declaring. And so when he says, truly, truly, it's his way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm truthfully telling you the truth that being born again is the only way to live. Listen up. But the question that still I'm sure remains for us is like, what does that mean? Okay, we get it. To be born again is necessary because it's the only way to live. But what does it mean to be born again? And so that's what I want to, I want to highlight two things. There's many things we could say. I want to highlight two things, and then I'm, I'm in my seat. So the first thing is this. To be born again means that there's an entirely new life. An entirely new life emerges in those who are born of the Spirit. It is not just an improved life. It is not just a supplemented life. It is an entirely new life because it is a life lived under a new king. That's why Jesus connects being born of the Spirit, being born again, with seeing and entering the kingdom of God. This is not about having a religious experience that improves my quality of life. It is the pathway into an entirely new way of seeing and living as Jesus is king, entering into his kingdom. It is an entirely different um, orientation and trajectory to our life because there is an entirely new king in our life. And so what that means is that if you are born again of the Spirit, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, a citizen of his kingdom, made alive in the Spirit, what that means is that you live the entirety of your life under the reign and the rule of King Jesus. What that means is that you enter into your Monday world, your, your vocation, your community, your school, your home, every part of your life you enter into fully and functionally aware of the fact that God is king through Jesus and that his ways are your ways, and that his loves are your loves, that his values are your values, that his truth is your truth, full stop. He is not one voice among many, guiding you, consulting you, giving you influence and wisdom. 
He is king over all, but, but so often we think of being born again like, like being born again is like this, this cologne or perfume that Jesus has created. You know, CK, like uh, Christ the king, you know, CK uh, born again. It's like, and we, what we think is, that was a stupid joke. I was just, I shouldn't come up with jokes on the spot, but, but this is how we think of Jesus. Like, I like Jesus, but I just, I, I just kind of want to smell like him, you know? I, I like the scent of Jesus, but in general, what I want to do, I want to remain, in general, the same person, with the same perspectives, the same postures and practices, but I like Jesus, and so I want to have a hint of him, a scent of him. And Jesus is saying, if that's what you want, you are just spraying a corpse with cologne. You're not born again. You have not entered into a new life entirely. To be born again means that we enter into an entirely new life that comes about through the work of the Spirit. It is not just a supplement, it is an entirely new life. The second thing that it means to be born again is that this entirely new life is only made possible by the work of the Spirit. That it is a work done entirely of the Spirit and not our own. It comes from a source outside of us, not from inside of us. Just as a child takes no credit for being born themselves, we cannot take any credit in accomplishing the work of being born again because it is a work done by the Spirit. Every, every year on my birthday, uh, for the past few years since I've known him, a member of our church, Jason Green, uh, p- posts on my Facebook wall, way to be born. And, and it, it, it's silly, it's, it's, like, it's, it's absurd because no one congratulates a child for their, their incredible efficiency and effort in exiting the birth canal. You know, like no one, that was a very extreme way of describing birth, but, but the point being is that no one celebrates that, no one congratulates a child because it is a work done entirely not of themselves. In the same way, just as we don't brag about our abilities to be born, the work of being born again is a work of the Spirit outside of us. In fact, the word again, in that phrase born again, it can be tra- it's the Greek word anothen, and it can be translated as the word again or as the word above. Some translations say to be born above. And I think Jesus has both of these words in mind when he's speaking to Nicodemus. Because to be born again, it is an entirely new life that emerges, but secondly, it is a work that comes from outside of us. To be born again means that we see and enter an entirely new life in the kingdom of Jesus that we cannot see and enter on our own, which is why, going back to John, in verse 8, Jesus says this in describing the work of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The work of being born again is entirely predicated upon the work of the Spirit in our lives. And that isn't because God is a control freak. It is because apart from the work of the Spirit, there is no hope of new life, which communicates the severity and the seriousness of what it means that we are dead in sin. We are not just maimed in sin. We are not just harmed in sin. We are dead in sin. Apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, we remain spiritually and ultimately dead, being born again is the only way to live. There, there's another, I have another Eddie story. When Eddie was about one, uh, we took him to a friend's pool. And, and I, we got this little uh, flotation device that he, he could be in and allegedly would keep him upright in the pool, okay? And so after, you know, about eight seconds of thoroughly investigating the integrity of this device that I bought from Aldi, um, I, I was like, okay, my kid is safe in this. 
And, and I got out of the pool, I walked around to the diving board, dove into the pool, came up, and I was ha- I'm still haunted by the image that I saw. Eddie was face down in the water, flailing his little arms. And, and I, like, thank God I didn't just, like, panic and just shock and freeze. I responded and was able to rescue him. It, I mean, it couldn't have been more than 10 seconds. It, in my mind, it was like a half hour. But it couldn't have been more than 10 seconds. He was fine. I was able to get him out. He still likes going to the pool, uh, so I have not traumatized him in that regard. But, but here's the thing. If I did not intervene, Eddie would not have made it. He was entirely helpless and hopeless without someone outside of himself intervening and bringing him out of the deadly position he was in. And that is exactly what it means to be born again. This is precisely what Jesus is declaring to us. That unless a work of the Spirit from outside of ourselves intervenes to rescue us and to bring us into new life, we are utterly hopeless. Because being born again is the only way to live. Now listen to what Jesus says in verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so here is what Jesus is showing us, is how this born-again life is made possible, where it comes from. And in this moment, Jesus, he, he is echoing this reference of being born of water and spirit. It is an echoing of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. And so keep in mind, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this expert in the Old Testament law. So he knows that Nicodemus knows this passage. It's very likely that Nicodemus has memorized the entire book of Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel says in chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all of your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so here, as we we put this together, when we read our Bible across time, we see what Jesus is saying. He is giving us a fuller picture of what it means to be born again. We are not simply in need of a, a miraculous resuscitation We are in need of a messianic redemption. We are not simply in need of a miraculous resuscitation. We are in need of a messianic redemption. Yes, the Spirit is the one that brings about new life, but the new life uh, is not possible without the cleansing, forgiving, and redeeming work of Christ who came to crucify himself and to crucify our sin so that we might be brought into newness of life. To be born again of the water and the Spirit is to, yes, receive the miraculous resuscitation of the Spirit, but to, to, that is only accomplished through the washing of sin through Christ, through Christ on the cross. I mean, to, to, to return to even Jesus' metaphor of birth, when, uh, when I was talking about this sermon with uh, Pastor Nikki, we were discussing this point, she just offered this beautiful illustration, I just thought it was so good. When a child is born, there is indeed work, there is pain, and there is blood. But it is entirely the work and the pain and the blood of the mother that brings about life. It is not the work of the child. It is the work entirely of a source outside of the child. In the same way, the new birth that brings us into the new world of the kingdom is a work done entirely by the triune God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, 
who does not simply miraculously bring about new life, but secures it and makes it possible through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. This is why Jesus makes mention of himself as the Son of Man being lifted up in verse 14. We'll look a little bit more at that passage next week. But when he says, the Son of Man being lifted up, the way in which we find new life is to see and behold the provision of God in giving his Son, who is lifted up on our behalf. How do we find wholeness in our brokenness? How do we find rescue in our lostness? How do we find forgiveness from our sinfulness and new life in our deadness? We look upon the miraculous provision of God in giving his son, the one whose life of perfection is credited to us by faith, the one whose death of atonement was accomplished in our place for us, whose resurrection of victory is shared with us, and whose reign and rule as king now and forever lovingly summons and sends us into all of life following him. And so what this means, dear friends, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, Hear these words that Jesus is declaring to Nicodemus about the new birth as an invitation to continue pursuing and pledging your allegiance to Christ. If Christ is, or rather, if the Spirit has given you new life to see and to enter the kingdom of God now and forever, then what that means is that we enter into our Monday lives, whatever we face and wherever we are placed, we enter in with open hearts and with open hands. And what I mean by that is this, with an open heart, we pledge our full allegiance to Jesus, that he is king over every square inch of our lives, of our vocations, our relationships, our time, our resources. He is not one among many, he is one full stop. To be born of the Spirit is to live as Jesus as king, and to embrace and to live your life under his beautiful reign for our good. It also means that we enter into Monday with, uh, with our hands wide open, pursuing every aspect of our lives for the sake of Christ and his kingdom, for the blessing of the world and the glory of his name. And I say this because you and I, if you are in Christ, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And you were invited into a full life with Christ as your king. The one who has washed your sins through his precious blood that makes this new life possible. And if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, what I want you to hear in these words is the invitation to repent and to receive. If you're a follower of Jesus, your words are to pursue and to pledge. If you are not a follower of Jesus yet, your words are to repent and to receive. To see and to repent of the spiritual death that is within you, that, that stands in the way of you finding the life that you absolutely long to live because of sin and to receive Christ as your Savior and King because, again, being born again is necessary because it is the only way to live. And so if you are here today, if you are here today and you are tired of trying and you are tired of failing and you are tired of falling and you are tired of sinning and falling back into the same habitual patterns of life, it's, it's a sign of the fact that you have not been born of the Spirit. What my encouragement to you is to turn to Jesus and to see him who descended into death with you so that he might raise you up to new life with him. As we sang so beautifully together, behold the man upon the cross, our sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, we hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought us life, and that is how we know it is finished. Amen? And so when we are born of the Spirit, through a work not of our own, accomplished by God and his mercy and grace towards us, 
we are able to praise the Father who makes possible through his Son the new birth by his Spirit as our only hope in life and in death. For being born again is the only way to live. And my hope and prayer is that we would see that and respond to Jesus as King, living for him and before him in his kingdom now and forever. May that be true of us as his church, and may that be true of some of us now for the first time who through the work of the Spirit is bringing about a new life in you. May that be so. And so here's what I want to do as we continue in worship together, as we prepare our hearts to respond, as we come to the Lord's table, I want to first give us time to respond in prayer and confession. So for those of you who are in Christ, I want you to see this prayer as a way in which you are identifying yourself with Jesus. If you are not in Christ yet, my invitation for you is to pray this prayer as a way to recognize your sinful brokenness, your death, your hopelessness apart from Christ and to receive him as Savior and as King. For even though, even though Jesus says that the work of new life is through the Spirit alone, Jesus still mysteriously and yet beautifully invites us to respond and to follow him. And so what we're going to do is a brief prayer of confession. There's a leader portion that I will lead, and then together we will pray the portion that says all, and then I will close us in a time of prayer after that. And so let us go to the Lord together in this prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has resulted in our brokenness and separation from you. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that prayer over us that we would be a people who recognize how desperate we are for new life, how desperate we are for you to do a quickening work and an enlivening work in us. For apart from your spirit, we can do nothing to revive our dead souls. And so, Lord, would you break through? Would you accomplish a new work in us? For those who are in Christ, Lord, would you remind us of the new life that is ours? Would we see the fullness of what it means to live as Jesus is king in all of life? surrendering to his loving reign over us. And for those who are not in Christ yet, Lord, I ask that your spirit would, would bring about new life. We entrust you, Holy Spirit, to do only what you can do. And so would you remove all barriers that stand in our way that we might see and behold and enter the kingdom of Jesus who brings about new life through his life, death, and resurrection. And would you do this, Lord, for our good and for your glory. It is in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.